Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for July 29th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. On this week's edition, we hear about the importance of upcoming agricultural yield surveys from the National Agricultural Statistics Service, learn all about soil moisture sensors and other technology for managing irrigation, and get the latest on this year's soybean crop. First, Jason Brown talks to Dr. Chris Henry, water management engineer for the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture, who shares his insights on leveraging soil moisture sensors and a custom smartphone app for managing irrigation in corn, soybeans, and rice. All right, thanks for joining us today. We're gonna talk about a really hot topic this year in agriculture, and that is water. Uh, Whether you want it, whether you don't, you've got too much, you need some more of it. Thank you so much to Dr. Chris Henry, associate professor, and a water management engineer with the Division of Agriculture. Uh, Dr. Henry, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me, Jason. Sure. Our time is so valuable as we're trying to manage irrigation in our fields today. We need to make sure our time is spent wisely as there's so many things to do. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're here. All right, Dr. Henry, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about irrigation this year. I know we've seen different weather patterns across uh, the Delta, up and down the Delta and across the state. Um, How does a grower decide, you know, if they need to irrigate or not? You know, how how does a grower even decide that, thinking about that through the lens of technology, which we have today? Yes, we've had such an interesting year. We had a lot of water early, a lot of rainfall, some real heavy rainfall, flooding that compacted our soils and sealed them over. And then now we've had several weeks in places of very hot, dry weather with a lot of crop water demand. And it's really made it interesting to figure out when we need to irrigate. Obviously when it doesn't rain, we're gonna have to irrigate to meet crop water demand, but when we get these small rainfall events or we've had saturated soils, when do we start back up? Makes these decisions challenging. Yeah. So what I've always recommended, what I think works best for us in our region, are using soil moisture sensors to help make those decisions. So I like to recommend, and any kind of soil moisture sensor works, they're all in my opinion the same. They all give you the same information. I personally teach people to start off with watermark sensors. Uh, They are a simple, uh, low cost tool. They cost about $35 a piece and you can put them together you can read them manually with a manual reader like this that costs about $200, or you can spend uh, more money on a telemetry unit that costs maybe $1,000 uh, per unit, uh, but you can see that on your phone or your iPad. You can see it and don't have to walk out in the field to read them. You'll need a slide hammer to put the sensors in. This is actually a tool you can use in every field uh, just to probe the soil, to look at that deeper profile, to see what's going on. But getting an understanding of your soil water balance These are really cost-effective tools that we've learned can really help us make and put more money in our pocket, but more importantly to me to make sure that when I'm irrigating, I'm spending my time wisely, putting water out on the crops when I know they need them rather than preemptively putting them out when they may not need uh, water. So uh, this is a really easy way to get started. We've learned from our irrigation contest that we don't have to have a sensor in every field. Uh, The soybean, winners in the contest, none of them had a sensor in their field. The first, second, third place winners 
but they had it in a neighboring field and they used that information from the neighboring field to make a decision on their contest field and that's how they won the contest. So even just having a set of four to five manual read sensors, maybe one or two telemetry units across your landscape will really help you understand what's going on in your field, where, is, where are we at in the soil water balance, and when do we need to start back up, and can we wait on a rain, or do we have to irrigate before that rain, uh, because we're going to run out before it gets here. Great points. Qu question about that. So in a time where growers are increasingly um, concerned or thinking about input costs uh, as it applies to profitability, uh, somebody who thinks, well, a $1,000 con uh, control unit or a, or, a, or, a, or a $200 reading unit, things like this, uh, what can really the difference make investment in, in some of these sensors and uh, in the, in the accompanying tools make in, on the input side of the, of the farm? Sure, that's a great question. On soybeans, we've done paired, paired studies uh, with farmers on their farms using computerized hole selection, pipe planner, faucet, surge irrigation, and soil moisture sensors. These three tools in soybeans, they reduce water use and save enough water to pay for the equipment. So there's no difference in that returns. Essentially what happens is the energy savings pays for the equipment. In corn, it does more than that. It actually puts money in your pocket, anywhere between $25 to $39 an acre more because we're making another six and a half bushels. In my study, we made 20 bushel better corn in our sensor-based than our weekly-based irrigation. It's not always that same every year. depends on the weather. depends on when you get rain. Mm -hmm. um, so, but more importantly to me is I'm not spending time in that busy time of the season running around turning pumps on. That doesn't account for the wear and tear on pumps, power units, electric motors, panels. Pumps wear out, bearings wear out, impellers wear out, and the less you run them, the longer they're going to last, and they're pretty expensive when you pull them out of the hole to repair them. Maintenance on your engine, less oil, less time replacing oil in, in, in engines, uh, and more time with your family because you know when I need to be out there, I need to be out there, and I need to turn that pump on rather than I'm just turning it on and maybe it rains four days later. That was probably a wasted trip. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Give us a scenario in which we, we've been talking a little bit today about um, a scenarios where uh, a sensor may be able to tell a grower, hey, you're going to need X amount of water in, in Y amount of days or something like that. Tell us an example of how a grower might use this sensor to, to sort of make this, make this plan, an irrigation plan, uh, several days ahead or, or something uh, of that nature. So we had a scenario in a cornfield last week. We were trying to make a decision whether to irrigate. We ran the numbers on our mobile app, looking at the sensor data. We needed to irrigate on Sunday. We couldn't wait till Monday. Sunday, uh, we decided, well, there was a really good chance of rain on Sunday. Pretty good chance. So let's wait. Otherwise, I would have irrigated early. But we waited till Sunday. It rained. We still have not irrigated. Today is Thursday. So that rain has bought us four days. We're still a couple days away. It really helped us out more than we realized. And that is a point on average was around 60 centibars. And 60 centibars is going to be considered pretty dry, I think, by most people that are kicking the dirt. They'll look at that and say, man, it's, it's really dry. 
You look at the crop, the crop looks really good. The corn is green, it's not showing any signs of stress. But we ran that through the app and it's calling even today, it's got just a little under an inch, 0.92 inches. It's telling us we could wait up to three days to irrigate. We've also crossed a, a growth stage, so the demand for that crop is actually a little less right now than it was last week, so it's actually helped extend us. Um, we, still, we still need seven and a half inches to finish that crop out, so we know we're gonna have to irrigate, but right now is not quite the time. So there's an example of when we can hold off, wait. Normally I would have gone ahead and irrigated this week if I was on a weekly schedule. It rained, it was Sunday, now it's dry again, it's been four days, probably time to irrigate. If we move on to the end of the season, for example, we're down to say the three-quarter of the milk line at that level, we still need an inch, uh, 0.92 inches. We still, so we're really close. Now, if, if we were at the same soil moisture level at the end of the season, the starch line's moving up, we're not a black layer yet, but we're close. Uh, for example, we would still need an inch. We have almost an inch in the profile. It says we need an inch or a tenth of an inch of rain. That's close enough, I'd probably call it, call it off. We don't need any more water to irrigate. If we were a little, maybe a half, half the starch line, for example, we'd have one more irrigation left. We would need two inches or about a 1.8 inch irrigation. So we need a full irrigation at 50% starch line. That's really nice. Termination's one of these things where we, there's two places where you're really gonna save water. At the beginning of the season, for example, on this cornfield, we started out, we usually don't irrigate our corn until around the 4th of July. There's enough rain and moisture in the profile from those rains to carry us almost, you know, well past silking. We usually start up, we're usually irrigating real heavily. Now the sick calendar method, we've already irrigated for three or four weeks. Hmm. We get to the end of the season, we can look at those sensors. We've got enough, we can plan out how many irrigations we need. We know, reading the sensors, we kind of need two more irrigations or three more irrigations. That almost always works out. And when you get there, you're done. Or if you get a rain at the end, you get to where you need two inches of rain, two inches of water to finish the crop out. If you get a good inch rain, maybe get another inch rain, you may be done. So what termination does, if we try to terminate, we're looking at what the crop needs. We know by the growth stage how much water the plant needs at that growth stage. With the sensors, we know how much we have available. We look at rainfall. If we get any rainfall in that time period, we know how, what the difference is. If we get the rain, we're done. If we don't, that's how much we need to finish it out. It's a really simple decision at the very end. So it sounds like these, these sensors and these, this app can really uh, provide a lot of assistance and, and honestly, maybe even uh, help growers sort of think through irrigation scenarios. How, how, how would a grower find this app and, and uh, start implementing it on, on their own operation? So the app's available on the app stores. On Apple, it's the app store. It's under Arkansas Soil Moisture Calculator or Arkansas Watermark Tool. It's also on Android on the Play Store. Uh, it's called Arkansas Soil Moisture or Arkansas Watermark Tool. You can, go, you can search those, they should come up. You put in your numbers, which are really hard. Numbers, looking at numbers is really hard to figure out in centibars. What does that mean? How do we translate to how much time do I have left? So the app does all the calculations for you. It counts for the rooting depth, your allowable depletion, how soon do you want to irrigate, how much uh, safety factor do you want to have. It counts for your growth stage. You put your growth stage in, then we know how much you need to finish out, how long your irrigation set time is. 
So in less than a minute, you can take readings and figure out how much water is left in the profile, and then app goes ahead and automatically calculates how long, when do you need to start your pump up again? So it tells you in three days or four days or two days or 10 days. And also it tells you then how, how much water is going to be required to finish that crop out for the season. So then you can also predict how many more irrigations you're likely to need to finish that, to finish, you know, to supplement uh -huh. that crop for the rest of the season. So, I mean, this all sounds really great. I mean, I went and downloaded the uh, app earlier and just, I think I searched Arkansas soil and it came right up. So it should be pretty easy to find. If a grower has downloaded the app or wants to do that and says, this looks a little intimidating um, here on the technology side, can they pick up the phone and call somebody? Are there, are there tutorials on YouTube, anything like that where they could um, get a walkthrough or, or sort of uh, an, an explanation of how it works? Oh, you know, Jason, it's a one-page app. Okay. There's a few entry, there's a few things you enter. Uh, it, most, of, most of my apps are pretty intuitive. People can figure them out on their own. You do need to have some understanding of, of what the numbers mean. There's a little help menu in there with an I. You can, it tells you what every input is. If they're still confused or want some help, every county agent knows, knows about this app, has probably worked with sensors, they can help. Also, the Natural Resource Conservation Service has uh, a several irrigation water management technicians. They all have experience with sensors. They're also a great resource. There's a lot of people uh, around that have been working with sensors off and on for the last five years. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of help. They're always welcome to call uh, myself as well or anybody they know who's maybe been around sensors uh, and the neighbors. You know, a lot of the neighbors are using sensors now. So, you know, ask your neighbor, how you been getting along with uh, your sensors? You can see them out in the field. You can know who's got them. Um, so, uh, but um, the biggest thing is you've just got to get started and get some experience with them. And what I always tell people is uh, when you first put sensors out, I can almost promise you what you think is going on in your field is not what's really <laughs> going on. And the sensors are going to surprise you and you're going to really question whether well, they're working right. Uh, because you, when you irrigate, you think this is going to happen, and that's probably not what's going to happen. And you're going to have to kind of rethink and relearn about what you think is really going on in your field. And every field's a little different. But that's the best way to get started. Just start out with one set, yeah. two sets, and read them manually, or buy one telemetry unit, or get in the irrigation contest, and we'll loan you a telemetry unit. And you can see what's going on and learn from that one unit and then uh, you'll expand You'll expand from there. Almost everybody does. Next up, Keith Sutton talks to Eugene Young, Regional Director of USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service, about the importance of the upcoming NASS Monthly Agricultural Yield Surveys, which provide information on expected row crop and hay yields. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today, my guest is Eugene Young, the Regional Director of USDA's NASS. A lot of you have heard of that. It stands for National Agricultural Statistics Service. Mr. Young, welcome to AgCast. Keith, it's great to be here. I appreciate you and everyone at Arkansas Farm Bureau for having us on. Uh, for, for those that may not be, know or be aware NAS, uh, the National Agricultural Statistics Service, is, is one of the statistical agencies within USDA. Our responsibility is providing up-to-date information, point-in-time estimates for agriculture. 
And I know a lot of our Arkansas farmers rely on that information. They look at it constantly. And we're going to talk about one particular part of what you do, and that's something called the Monthly Ag Yield Surveys. Um, Our monthly ag yield reports, and I'm sure our our agriculturalists out there uh, know that as we go through the marketing year for our row crops, uh, NAS has provided information on in, intended planted acreage. We've, we've updated our, our acreage that was planted in June. So now as we get to the summer months, uh, the factor that, that really weighs on people's minds is yield. And what is our potential production through the year? And that's exactly where our monthly ag yield reports come in. Uh, just to give you a little information on, on the entire process, uh, it runs from the first week of August through the first week of November. So each month, we will survey farmers across the state and across the nation. Other states will be doing the same thing that Arkansas does. So, so we're comparing uh, corn to corn and soybeans to soybeans, no matter where we're at. Okay. Uh, but we will we will survey those for for a week in time. We will ask our farmers, based on conditions as they exist at the first of the month what do you expect your yield to be? Uh, and, and for Arkansas, uh, that will be for the corn, cotton, rice, soybeans, and peanut crops. Now in September, or, or uh, excuse me, October uh, and August, we will also include uh, estimates for our hay production. Uh, okay, so basically we're talking, uh, we'll start out with row crops, uh, the, the big row crops in Arkansas, and then uh, include hay as well. Exactly right, Keith. Exactly right. Each state uh, will be submitting their estimates based on the crops that are in their state. Uh, again, looking at just the major growth crops here in Arkansas, uh, those are the commodities that we will cover. Uh, our sample size, we will we will be uh, sending out surveys to roughly about uh, 400 uh, farmers across the state each month. Those numbers may vary a little bit month to month depending on the commodity mix but that's just a simple average. So we're talking a, a relatively small sample size uh, to give us a good indication of where yield is going to be in the state. So how do you pick uh, who the people are who will complete the surveys? Is that something done at random or uh, how is that, that handled? Exactly right, Keith. It is a random sample. It is probability proportional to size. Uh, so what that really means is kind of the larger you are and the, the more mix of a commodity that you may grow as a producer that may give you a better opportunity to, to get selected. Uh, but overall it's a, it's a random sample each month. We may have different people come in and out of the sample, but we do want to keep a, a small percentage or proportion of our growers in multiple months. So that way that gives us an idea that we can not only look at the, at the raw data coming straight from the, from the summation of what people have reported, but we can also compare a ratio from last month to this month to also give us an idea for that small sample that's in both, whether we're seeing an increase or decrease based on, on conditions each month. So this is not just a survey that everybody can get online and fill out the survey. We need to wait until we receive something from NAS. Is that correct? 
Absolutely correct, Keith. What we generally do is toward the end of each month, so toward the end of, of July, uh, the end of August, the end of September, the end of October, we will mail out that survey to respondents. We give them not only a letter explaining what the survey is, but we will also mail a copy of the survey that they can mail return to us. We give you a survey code, uh, which will allow you to go on to our secure online system and be able just to enter it in uh, electronically. Or you have the option to wait for one of our uh, field representatives to give you a call. Uh, one thing that I would note here, Keith, is when I talk about security, uh, anybody, any survey that NAS does, individual information is protected under law. What that means is we cannot disclose any individual information whatsoever. The data that we collect is only used in, in a in a uh, aggregated setting, whether at the county level, state level, or national level. So no individual information under law can be can be provided to anyone. I think that's important. A lot of our uh, listeners probably want to know: is is my information confidential, or or where is it being shared? So that answers that question. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, in in today's world, you can't be too safe. But you can certainly look under Title Seven of the U.S. Code, um, indivi individual information uh, used for the purpose of a statistical aggregate cannot be provided out to anyone else. And I'm guessing this is not a big, long survey that's going to take you a, an hour to complete. This is pretty short and sweet, right? You are correct, Keith. Uh, the questions on this survey are pretty short and to the point. Uh, again, based on the conditions, depending on what crops you have, uh, I, I mentioned for Arkansas, we'll do corn, cotton, rice, soybeans, and peanuts. It will ask you what do you expect to yield based on that, and what acres do you expect to harvest, and that's it. So it's it, it depending on the mix, it could be anywhere from a couple of minutes to to maybe ten minutes in length to to complete. So what we want to do today is encourage all our folks who receive uh, these surveys, please uh, help by, by answering them. Take that few short minutes, uh, provide some answers, and uh, that will help y'all in what you're trying to do at NAS. A absolutely right, uh, Keith. With, with any sample or, or survey sample that you do, uh, sample size means everything, all responses. Uh, we, you know, when we look at this and we talked a little bit about uh, um, how the samples are drawn, uh, we want them not only just based off, off of size of farms, but we also want them aggregated across the state because we all in agriculture know what happens in, in the northeast section of the state could be completely different than the southeast section, which could be completely different than the Grand Prairie. Yes, absolutely. We're all going to have different means, so we've got to get a good mix of everybody in there to make sure that, that we get the, the best number we can for the state for, for farmers themselves. So we hope that uh, if you receive the survey information, you won't just pass it up and say, oh, uh, Farmer John over here, he'll do that, and I don't need to worry about it. You were selected for a reason, and we really want to encourage folks to participate. Absolutely, Keith. And, and for, for a farmer themselves, um, for everybody in the agricultural industry, the best source of information are the people the, the men and women that have their hands in the dirt. Uh, 
the farmers themselves are going to know what's you know what's going on. Uh, we don't want our our yield numbers or any of that information coming from um, you know some some linear equation or anything like that. That we you know we want to to make sure we sample everybody, we get the information, we sum it up, and, and then we publish that information. Uh, I will say for a farmer themselves, what's critical is is as I mentioned earlier. Uh, this survey is not only going on in Arkansas, but every other state. So I know there could be producers out there that may have some marketing decisions they're still waiting to look at. Uh, you know, agriculture is not a, a, a local commodity or, or local industry anymore. It's global. Uh, what happens in Iowa, what happens in Indiana, what happens in Ohio has an impact on our farmers here. So these surveys provide everybody with information across the board so you have an idea of what's going on, not only in your area, your state, but across the nation. So it's very critical that we get farmers to respond. And Keith, that, uh, that information, once it's published, they'll be released on August the 12th, September the 10th, October the 12th, and November the 9th. Always at 11 a.m. local time, that information is available at our website for everybody to have at the same time, free of charge at www.nass.usda.gov. Very good. That's a good way to wrap up, Mr. Young, and uh, we appreciate you taking time to join us today and share this information uh, so our farmers can participate in these very important surveys. You are most welcome, Keith. Thank you, and thank everyone at Arkansas Farm Bureau for having us on. Finally, Jason catches up with Extension Soybean Agronomist Dr. Jeremy Ross of the University of Arkansas to get an update on the state's soybean crop. Okay, so I'm here with Dr. Jeremy Ross in a soybean field here in Lone Oak County today, and we're going to talk a little bit about the initial soybean outlook uh, for the state of Arkansas and sort of do a check-in here as we round out the month of July. And talk about where we are now what's changed in between and things like that so uh jeremy thanks for joining us i appreciate you making the time today uh can you tell us a little bit about what that uh, i know every year you put together sort of a plan yeah. a, a forecast if you will for the soybean crop in the state can you tell us what that looked like uh, back earlier this year sure yeah so you know i get economist and you know all kinds of people calling me, you know, in the fall and spring, kind of wanting to get my input on what the crop's going to be, you know, acreage-wise. And so, uh, for the last two years prior to 2021, uh, we were below three million acres, and uh, 2019 was the lowest acreage we'd ever been in since the 1960s. And so, because of the flooding issues and the frequent rainfalls we had, uh, low commodity prices there in 2019 and 2020. Um, we were below that 3 million mark. And so this year I was anticipating us being back over that uh, with the commodity prices the way they were, uh, better than we've seen in, in the last few years. Uh, there was a lot of talk for soybeans. And so I was expecting us to be over 3 million. Uh, you know, it's always a gamble or, a, you know, just a guess on how far over 3 million. I was guessing somewhere in that 3.1 uh, million acres and that's kind of where USDA has this peg. Um, so, you know, my guess this past fall and this spring was, was pretty accurate. So. Yeah. 
So planting season went okay. Was it pretty uninterrupted? Uh, it went okay. Uh, we did have some, uh, some, quite a bit planted early, uh, especially down in the south part of the state. Um, you know, guys down there really pushed the early planting window, uh, tried to maximize yield. Uh, but I consider this this year kind of a, a, a series of starts and stops. You know, would get some dry weather and farmers get three or four days to plant and then here come a rainfall. And it seemed like it was always, you know, started on a, a, a Sunday night or a Monday and it seemed like it was wet all week and then it finally dried out on the weekend. So driving around on the weekend, there was a bunch of activity going on. And then, you know, here would come another shower or rain event on Sunday, Monday, you know, put everybody out for two or three days. And then, you know, so it was a lot of, um, we had a lot of blocks of planting. Uh, we didn't have just kind of one continuous planting window. It was, it was again, kind of a lot of starts and stops. But, you know, we finally, we finally got most everything planted and uh, and most everything's looking pretty good so moving through the season here uh, I, I know we've had several weather events that yep. have come through the state so so as we stand here towards the end of july what are we thinking i mean what's sort of the assessment now so felt really good uh, going into may uh, but then the first week of june uh, there was a, a system that came through and pretty much centered over dumas uh, that part of the state received 20 inches of rainfall in 48, 70, 72 hour period. Uh, a lot of the acreage, and, and we were looking mainly is focused around seven counties, you know, and Dumas is kind of the epicenter. Uh, we were estimating that after that event that, you know, there was well over 100,000 acres of beans and, and rice, uh, both. So if you, if you had the beans or rice that was damaged due to that event, it was almost you know, a quarter of a million acres. But um, a lot of those beans were early planted and, and several fields were already into reproduction. So a lot of the farmers had already put in all their inputs, you know, and, and, except for their late season pest control. But fertility, seed cost, all their herbicide applications had already gone out. So a lot of them pretty much had to start from scratch. And, um, you know, we've got data showing that uh, that part of the state uh, around the first of, uh, well, I guess the middle of May, uh, end of May, we start seeing yield reduction by delaying planting. So, you know, those farmers were sitting really good and should have been able to maximize yield, but they had to start over again. And because of that, and they got delayed planting, a lot of that acreage down there now is going to have some reduction in yield just because it was delayed and getting the replants. Um, and so that, that was probably the biggest event. Uh, just this past weekend, they got another pretty significant event. Uh, I got a call two days ago that a farmer for the third time lost 200, 200 acres. And so the, the co-op had already sent all their seed back. And so they were scrambling around trying to you know, find seed to try to replant this 200 acres that had flooded for the second time. And, you know, at this point of the game, we're, we're pretty much 50% yield reduction. Uh, so if it's a 75 bushel crop, you know, it's gonna, the best you can do is gonna be, you know, lower 30s. Um, but, you know, I would rather see a crop on that ground with, with coverage as opposed to just leaving it bare because, if you leave it bare, the weeds are gonna come up. 
you're going to have to till it. You're going to have to spray herbicides. And so the way I look at it, I'd rather have a crop out there, even though you're not going to be able to maximize yield. I'd rather have a crop out there, at least giving some protection and shading some of the ground. So um, a lot of those guys, you know, we went down there for about a two week period trying to help those uh, farmers that in that part of the state out. And uh, most everything that I've seen uh, has been replanted. Yeah. So, so how do you, I mean, when do you think sort of the last beans of, of this growing season come out of the field? Is there any way to even predict that? Oh, there, there is. Um, Dr. Purcell actually has a program uh, called Soy Map, and you can go in and put your, your planting date, uh, kind of your location, and your maturity group, and it'll estimate out, you know, when you'll hit R1, when you'll hit R5, when you'll hit R8. And so I had to use that quite a bit, you know, this year because, uh, you know, we've had June planted beans, but typically it's double crop, you know? Um, and so I kind of have a good idea, but I really don't have, you know, end of June, first of July planted beans. I mean, it, it, we, we hardly ever see that. I don't have a whole lot of experience with that. And so, you know, I had to use that program to kind of get some estimates. And so the, the big issue now is trying to finish up this crop before we, we get a frost. You know, we're supposed to have the first, you know, potentially 100 degree temperatures in the last three years this weekend. And people are saying, oh, you're talking, why are you talking about a frost? Well, if you look from July 1 to November 1, you got 120 days. And if you look at variety testing and kind of do averages of different maturity groups, uh, a mid four is going to take about 115 days to mature, you know, from the time you plant it, planted late. Um, you know, it, it is a little bit, you know, narrowed up, but still you're going to need, you know, 100 plus days to finish that from planting to, to finishing up that crop. So, um, you know, if we have a mild fall, I'm not too worried about it. But if we have an early frost, there's a, there's a lot of acreage that could potentially be damaged, you know, if we can't get that crop out. And so, um, you know, we just need to do everything we can to try to manage this crop. and try not to stress it and delay it any more than, than we have already. Yeah, that's a great point. With as much um, adversity as this growing season has seen, uh, and we'll give the weather most of the credit for that. Yep. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you've had lots of questions, uh, different types of questions. What is, what's the most common question you've got? Uh, so, you know, especially this late planted, uh, you know, number one is maturity group. Uh, we tend to still stick with the fours, even planted late. Uh, again, a, a study that Dr. Purcell did uh, shows that group fours tend to have better yield potential than, than even fives or threes. And so that was, that's been a big question. Seeding rate's been a big question. Um, you know, we typically, these late planted beans, uh, we increase the seeding rate. Uh, the main reason for that is is uh, we want nodes per acre because you know nodes are where beans are going to be formed and we know from experience and research that late planted beans just don't have the number of nodes and so to compensate for that you need more plants per acre to, to get the number of nodes per acre to get the, the yield and so we increase our seeding rates uh, narrow up our row spacing just to try to shade the ground as quick as we can 
um, and then you know manage it like normal. You know, make sure you got the fertility out there, irrigate when needed, scout those fields, especially the the wide planted fields, the the ones on 30 inches or greater. Uh, with these late plantings, they tend to not to want a canopy, and uh, from experience and talking to the entomologist, uh, bollworms tend to want to focus on those fields that don't canopy for some reason. We really haven't figured that out. But if you had a field that's not completely canopy versus one that is canopied, nine times out of 10, you're gonna see more bollworms in that one that's not completely canopied. So I really scout those fields late in the season because you know these are gonna be some of the last fields out there. And we are starting to see a buildup of bollworms uh, just in the last, uh, well, this week. And so, you know, they're, they're going to kind of be focusing in on these late planted fields because that's really going to be the only food for them late in the season. So, you know, scout it, spray when you need to, and then make sure you, you manage for diseases and insects and late in the season. Yeah, so we've, just as we wrap up, we've talked a lot about dark spots <laughs> throughout the growing yep. season. Are there any uh, are there any highlights? Are there any glimpses well, of hope out there? Yeah, I think oh, I think the biggest one is the commodity price. You know, uh, you know, I get reports once or twice a day from different sources. Uh, I think that yesterday we're back up around that fourteen dollar range uh, per bushel. So, you know, that's you know, I think that's given us a glimmer of hope. You know, even though we've had some diversity and we may not have the high yields that we've seen the last couple of years, at least we've got, you know, we're not down $7 beans, you know, and, and only cutting 35 bushels. You know, we got $14 beans, and if we cut 35, at least we're making a little bit more money in that scenario. Um, but this year, you know, it, it's been a struggle. Um, there's been uh, some uh, shortages of some of the pesticides, and so there's been some complaints on that. Uh, you know, fuel prices is still elevated, but, um, you know, farmers are resilient. Uh, you know, they, some of them been through some worse times than we're seeing in 2021 and made it through. But um, just in the last few weeks, I think the attitudes have gotten a little bit better. Um, you know, pretty blue there the 1st of June, you know, if you went down to Southeast Arkansas, it would, there was some, uh, some, some long faces, you know, because of all the work that just got washed away in a matter of you know, two days. But I've talked to several of those farmers down there. They feel pretty good about their crop. Uh, I've been down there uh, looking at some of the crops and they, they look good, uh, even though they're late. But, uh, but you know, we've, we've still got a ways to go, you know, and how this crop finishes up is really going to be dependent upon uh, the next month and a half, uh, finishing it up July, going into August and about the 1st of September. Uh, hopefully, you know, the weather pattern we're getting ready to experience first of next week, you know, upper 90s, you know, uh, maybe bumping 100. Maybe it's just, you know, we can get through that and get back down into the 80s like we have been, you know, the last couple of weeks. That would really benefit, you know, this, this soybean crop. If we stay in the, you know, upper 90s, uh, put a lot of stress on those beans, especially if we're going through reproduction. In that case, really the only option we got is just to keep them irrigated as much as we can. Uh, irrigation, you know, typically cools down that canopy. So underneath that canopy is going to be quite a bit cooler than the atmospheric temperature. So that's our number one uh, combatant against high temperatures is, is irrigation. Yeah. All right, last thing, I'm sure 
folks are going to see this and, and maybe have additional questions. Uh, my guess is most every soybean farmer in the state knows how to get a hold of you. But yep. tell us where to find you on Twitter. And, yep. So uh, email is uh, jross at uada.edu. Um, Twitter, I'm arcsoydoc, A-R-K-S-O-Y-D-O-C. Uh, but if you want more information, uh, you can go to the website and uh, find you know anything on soybean production or, or my contact information there. So. That's it for this week's Arkansas AgCast. Join us again next Thursday for more news and views on Arkansas agriculture.